0: Wow, I was uh, so lost in worship there. I was like, oh, I've got to preach now, too. That's right. That's, that's part of the job. Man, I said first service, I might lose my voice after worship, but now we really might go through with uh, ASL to finish the service out. It, that, that was just, God was in this place, amen? God is here. I mean, he's always here, but I just can feel the, the move of his presence and his spirit. Um, man, God is good. Um, So we are kicking off a very short series. This is just going to be over the next three weeks um, that we've entitled Testify. And uh, our church is engaging and commencing a journey. Oh, I will one day get it right and you guys will celebrate. Middle school, you are released to fire starters. Have a great time. So bye, middle schoolers. They are just mutinying. They don't care. They just get up and go. They're just... So our church is setting out on a journey that I believe genuinely God has charted in our hearts as leaders and as a body, as a congregation. And that is, He's birthed within us to be a church that's a growing church. And when I say we're a growing church, I'm not saying that we're a growing church because we're attracting Christians from other churches. Let me say that there's times when it's time to move on. I understand that. But that is not where we want to source growth or where we feel God is growing us. It's not because we've got the most kickin' worship band or the coolest light show or because our donuts are the least stale from the other churches. But we grow because people see that this is a house of hope. That this is a place where God's presence is, where there's truth that is spoken, where there's truly something that's different and that they feel that within their spirits and they are called and they are drawn to relationship and walk with Jesus. And so um, I believe that we are church to be a missional church, responsive to the Great Commission. And so that's what this series is really going to delve into and how we then take that and put it into our own lives because... We are carriers of the good news. We are carriers of the gospel to our world. We are called to bring good news to the poor. We are called to proclaim freedom to the captives, to, that the blind will be set free, that the, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is what Jesus said about the prophet Isaiah. He quoted the prophet Isaiah when he, when he proclaimed this. And, and, and when he proclaimed this as his followers, we are bringers of that truth. We are bringers of that hope. And so we are moving church into a season of opportunity. I believe that's unlike anything we've seen before. There is a season of opportunity that lays before us unlike anything we've seen before. But we need to be in response to that then a church with clear purpose and clear vision. A, per, a church that, that moves forward with intentionality, that we aren't just floating along, that we aren't just existing for the sake of our own existence to get to the next potluck, but exists for purpose. So this isn't something that's really unique or proprietary to New Life Church, the Great Commission. This is actually something that all believers are called to, all churches are called to. Now I believe there's distinctives and, and special things for New Life Church that are within this, but, but it's a response and a charge that's given to all of us. It's not a church with the the wording on the front, the sign that's called to the Great Commission. It is the people that fill the church. Let me tell you, an evangelistic church is filled with evangelists. And so, as individuals, we are called to this. It's a response to the charge that Jesus gave us. His final command before Jesus ascended back to the Father was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew 28, Jesus is with his disciples right, right before he ascends, and he says this. He says, it says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this I am with you always even to the end of the age so this is the commission this command that Jesus gives us to go into all the earth and to preach the good news and we've all received this commission we've all heard this calling and I think we've all taken it to heart but here's the rub here's the issue is if we know it to be true and if this is literally not a suggestion. Jesus wasn't like, hey, it would mean a lot to me if you guys would just mention me every once in a while and just kind of throw out a good word. But it was a command. And if it was this, then why don't we always do it? Why aren't we more responsive to it? And I think that there's, there's a few reasons that really lock us up when it comes to engaging with the Great Commission. Because sometimes it's easier to be honest with you, to be quite transparent. It's easier to proclaim the gospel from the pulpit. Some of you that don't like public speaking are like, no, that is worse than death. (laughs) But it's easier to proclaim the gospel from a pulpit than it is one on one. And I think the first thing that can really lock us up as we think about uh, these things is fear. The first thing that can keep us from engaging with the Great Commission is we're often afraid. Our knees weak, arms heavy, mom's spaghetti. I'm using Ty's technique with music lyrics there. Fear can grip us though, right? I think fear is probably often the number one thing that keeps us from sharing our faith. Fear of, uh, and and do you know what's interesting is we build things within our mind that are probably much more terrible than the the reality would be. What's the worst that could happen if you share your faith and someone goes, "Eh, I'm not interested. But somehow in our mind, it gets so big. The enemy builds up these things that there's just a terror that can come over us when we think about sharing our faith. The second thing is I think often we don't feel qualified. What if they ask me a really tough question? What if they ask me a question I don't have the answer to? What if it's like a really deep theological question and I'm like just stare at them blank, you know, for a long time until we both just walk away? I think sometimes we have that fear of, of I'm not qualified, I haven't gone to seminary, I don't have the proper training. Can I tell you that people ask me questions and there are many times where I look at them and go, I'll have to get back to you on that because I don't have all the answers. There's times where I have to just say, there are mysteries in the world that I don't have all the answers to, but sometimes we let the fact that we don't have all the answers keep us from answering the biggest question of who Jesus means to us and what he's done in our life. I think the third thing is we don't want to be pushy. We feel like we're being pushy if we're ch- telling people about Jesus or what He he's done in our life. We don't want to be the person where people say, oh no, here comes uh, preachy Lawrence. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna corner me and they're going to preach at me and the only reason they come around is to try to convert me. It's like the person that you haven't talked to in years, like since high school, but they suddenly show up because they have the great good news of Amway, you know, and you're like, the only reason you're talking to me is to try to get me in, you know, your, your, your sales system or something like that. And, 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 and so we're, we're afraid. I don't want to be that pushy person that's, that's in your face. And then I think the fourth reason that really holds us back is, and I think this is the saddest one, is often we're just complacent. How often do we just not really think about it? Life is going okay. It's comfortable. I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven. We hang out. We do good things, we do good things Christians should do, we worship, we feel God's presence and all those things, but we don't feel like compelled to go reach people. And, and these are all reasons that can be in our mind whether subconscious or not, but uh, the good news is, no matter what reason may be, it may be even one that's off this list, the good news is that these pretexts, these reasons that can often lock us up, they don't have To hold sway over us. They don't have to keep us from engaging what Jesus has called us to. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking both spiritually how we can engage with this, but also practically how we engage with the Great Commission as a church. Because we're engaging on this journey, and part of that, we're starting with Wonder Camp. Reaching our community outside the walls. Our church having a vision beyond our doors. And so how do we do that? So, Jesus makes this statement to... The disciples before he goes to the Father To go into all the world and to make disciples But then he follows it in the book of Acts With this promise to the early church So jump with me to the book of Acts chapter 1 It's the very first chapter of Acts So Acts just picks right up From where the gospels leave off Jesus returns to the Father Acts actually has a few few verses from Jesus in it uh, uh, Mentioning Jesus before he returns to the Father And this is what it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 This is probably a verse you're very familiar with Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, and throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is going to be, this, this one verse is going to be our launching point over the next several weeks. And today, I'm focusing on this part where he says, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this verse is a direct result and promise of that last command Jesus gave to go into all the world preaching the good news. It's what makes obedience to that command even possible. Because otherwise, it would be an impossibility. And so today, we're actually going to be looking at a character in the Bible. I love doing character studies, and I love telling stories. I love the stories that are in Scripture. I think they connect with us, and I see so much of myself, especially in the flawed parts of these characters in the Bible. The, the Bible's like this guy's messed up, and I'm like, I'm messed up too. That works great. But this character, his name is Peter, and we're going to follow a lot of his life. I'm going to read a whole lot of scripture today. I hope that's okay. It's church, so you have to live with that. But uh, this, and I'll, I'll also do some summarizing of Peter's life. But you can you can read all about it. Will especially be in the book of uh, of Matthew. But this 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 guy named Peter. The character arc of Peter is a fascinating one. Um, how many of you know, have ever watched a movie or TV show where the character is incredibly flat and it makes it really boring? There's like no dimension to them. They're like the same person the whole time. Peter is not that. He is, well, he's all over the map. He's like this, really. He's got a fascinating character development through the Bible. And as a matter of fact, it's not contained in just one book. It actually takes place over much of the New Testament, seeing what happens in his life. Uh, Peter is a, spends the first half of his life As really a blue collar kind of guy He's a commercial fisherman That's his job And he, he fishes for a living And and uh, I know a lot of you guys are like If only that could be my living, fishing he, he fishes for a living I'm not sure it's as relaxing as we like to think of it But uh, He's out fishing one day or getting his nets ready and Jesus comes walking by. And we don't know the relationship Jesus had with Peter at that time. At that time, his name was Simon. We don't know what background they may have had. Maybe this was the very first time they met. But Jesus calls to him and says, Peter, come follow me. And Peter does what I don't think any of the rest of us would do on a normal job. Can you imagine that you're like working in the produce department and some character walks through the grocery store and is like, hey, come on, follow me. And you're like... Okay, I quit, and you just walk out. (laughs) That would be bizarre, but that's what Peter did. He just quit. He left his family. He left everything because he saw something in Jesus that he knew he needed more of. There was something about Jesus that was different. There was a depth to him. There was something that was per- more purpose than he had ever seen in his life. And so Jesus calls him and says, come, follow me. And Peter leaves everything and starts to follow Jesus. Talk about a lot of faith. But Peter is a brash guy. He does some crazy stuff. He has very little filter between what goes on here and what he says. Amen. Or what comes into his heart and what he says. It doesn't, it doesn't pass through much. He's just like, I think it, say it. It's, it's, like, it's like a toddler. Have you ever had a toddler that just you just want to die when they say something? You're huge, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Observational. That's kind of how I view Peter. Like, he just says what's on his mind, on his heart. And, and so he, he does a lot of things right. He says a lot of things that are right. But also he does a lot of things wrong. He walked on water. He also sunk. But he was the only disciple to get out of the boat. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking with the disciples and he asks them, Hey, who do people say that I am? And they start to give answers. And I think the answers they give would be very similar to if you were to go across the street and just ask any someone, who is Jesus? They say, in the Bible, the disciples answer, they say, Well, some people say that you're like a really wise prophet, a really wise teacher. Other people are saying that you're like the reincarnation or maybe some sort of wise uh, uh, leader that's come back from the dead or, or, or representative of something more. But then Jesus says, no, okay, that's great. But who do you say that I am? And Peter yells out, you are Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He knows who Jesus is. And Jesus claps his hands and says, well done, Peter. Well done. He gives him a huge just... He, he, talk about an endorsement. Jesus says, you are the man. You've got it figured out. Clearly, this was revealed to you by God himself. And, he, and at that time, Peter's name was Simon. He said, and by the way, change your stationery. I'm changing your name. You are no longer Simon. You are going to be called Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And that's a nice endorsement. And you know the relationship the disciples have, the one-upsmanship? You know who's better? I guarantee you Peter threw shade at the other disciples. As soon as he heard that, he's like... Rock, right there. And uh, not three verses later, Jesus says, and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be crucified and killed. And Peter says, never! That is so false. You are wrong. And he scolds who he just called the Son of God. He literally scolds him. And Jesus turns to him and says, Get away from me, Satan. From rock I'm going to build my church on to get away from me, Satan. That's a quick turn in the conversation. And, and, and so Peter has this, this movement of, of character, this, this crazy just swings in how he's doing with Jesus. And, and so after putting his foot in his mouth and getting reprimanded by, by Jesus, By the way, don't tell your friends to get away from you, Satan. I think that's for Jesus only to be able to do. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he meets with his disciples and he says, listen, I am going to die and I'll be arrested and all of you are going to run away. And Peter, (laughs) I can imagine in a booming fisherman voice, said, not I, Lord. They may all run and flee like little wussies but I will die with you. He guarantees him, it doesn't matter what we go through, I'm your man. Remember rock. I'm the rock. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, Peter, I'm telling you, that tonight, before the rooster even crows, you're going to deny you even knew me three times. And so we know the story, Jesus is arrested, and he's taken to the Sanhedrin. And Peter follows along behind. This is an interesting part of the story, and I want us to hold on to this part of the story because I promise it comes up later in this, in this story. So if you have your Bibles, again, we're in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, in verse 57. So way towards the end of chapter 26. And I don't know what the head, heading of this section of your, your Bible says, but on mine... It says, Jesus before the council. And that word council is important. If you want, underline it, underline it, highlight it, put a star next to it, whatever it takes to get your attention there. But it says, Jesus before the council. And so Peter has followed along behind, and here's what it says. It says, then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas. Here's the second part to underline. To underline Caiaphas. So the people arrested Jesus. He's brought before this council and to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and he waited to see how it all would end. So Jesus has been arrested, he's standing trial before this group of people, this council and Caiaphas, and Peter is in the courtyard, and a little servant girl walks up to him, I mean a little girl, and she goes, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And this huge fisherman to this tiny little girl says, I don't know what you're talking about. And two more times, Peter's asked, Don't you know Jesus? Your accent betrays you. you. Surely you're a follower of Jesus. And finally, at one point, Peter gets so desperate, he calls down curses on himself. He says, I swear, I don't know the guy. And when that happens, suddenly the rooster crows, and he's devastated. He realizes, I've betrayed my Christ. I, I don't know what I've done. And he, he runs out and weeps bitterly, realizing that he has, he has let fear take over. He realized that, that though he knows the Son of God, like we, re- like we just talked about, he, he told Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? Jesus said, that's been revealed to you by the Father. He, he knew who Jesus was, and yet, despite knowing it, fear still held his heart. And here's something that, that I wrote up, and I'll try to explain it, because it uses some big words, and I hope it's as profound as I thought it was. But it's this, personal revelation does not presume personal empowerment, I'll try to explain it personal revelation doesn't presume personal empowerment that means you can have a personal relationship with Jesus it can be revealed to you that Jesus is the Son of God you can serve him with and know him as your personal Lord and Savior however that does not presume that you have been empowered or or carry that personal empowerment of of of, of the Holy Spirit and I'll explain further so 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 you can have this personal relationship, believe in Him, but fear can still hold sway over your testimony. Maybe you have been a follower of Jesus, but someone asks you on the job, Hey, aren't aren't you a Christian? And you feel that lump go up in your throat immediately. And you just kind of pass it off. Oh yeah, you know, I go to church. And you want to just get out of the conversation as quickly as possible. Maybe a question is asked and you want to move on. You see, the enemy wants to plant that seed of fear in us because... He may not be able to take away your salvation It's secured in Christ's hands But if he, he will gladly settle For making you an ineffectual follower of Jesus By crippling you with fear Making you want to clam up And just be inside yourself and So Peter Has fear take over Even though he has a, a revelation of who Christ was he, he, he has fear take over And he realizes what he's done and He's repentant And Jesus We know is crucified, he's resurrected, and he reinstates Peter. He says, Peter, come follow me. He brings him back into relationship, and Peter follows him again, and then Jesus issues this great commission. And then is when Acts chapter 1, verse 8 happens. He says, so here's what, I'm going to return to the Father. You need to go to Jerusalem and wait for power. You need to wait, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, the promised gift that's going to come. And so if you have your Bibles, open them with me. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Jesus is telling them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this promise happens. The disciples do what Jesus tells them they go to Jerusalem and they wait. And then in Acts chapter 2, the promise does happen. They're meeting together and the Holy Spirit falls and the room they're in is shaken and and, and a wind comes through and tongues of fire settle on them and people begin to speak in other tongues as they are given the ability and suddenly there is this move of the presence of God and it's such an uprising, it's such a house party that people in the community are like, what's going on over there? Sound violation. Someone call the police. And so they come over to check it out, and they're like, these guys are drunk and it's in the morning, what's their problem? And Peter stands up, and something very profound happens. A transition, a transformational moment happens when he encounters the Holy Spirit in this way. Because he, because he goes from personal revelation to transformational disciple. He goes from personal revelation of who Christ is in his own life, to now he is a transformational disciple-maker. And he stands up, and rather than just kind of tiptoeing around it and saying, no, we're not drunk, you guys, sorry. We're just having a nice little meeting here, little uh, get-together. He stands up in front of this crowd, and he proclaims Jesus. He preaches Jesus. He preaches his experience, what he's seen through Jesus, the resurrection. He preaches Jesus uh, crucified, uh, buried, and resurrected. And 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 he preaches this gospel and this... this, this uh, this m- moment of transformation within Peter occurs where he goes from being just a follower to a transformational uh, follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is this catalyst within him that moves him from a warrior to a warrior. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing within us, church. He takes us from a, a paralysis to, to being witnesses in our world. And so that's what the Holy Spirit d- does. And suddenly Peter is filled with this boldness and he preaches to this crowd. And in chapter uh, 2, verse 37, it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him, and they said to the other apostles, Brothers, what must we do? What must we do? And Peter didn't miss the opportunity. He didn't shy away from the moment. You see, sometimes when someone asks us a question, a spiritual question, I think our natural feeling is to feel defensive. Sometimes we throw up the defensive barriers. Have you ever had a question asked and you're like, Whoa, they're really attacking me here. I believe that often questions aren't challenges. Questions indicate hunger. Yeah, yeah. A desire for truth. And Peter hears this question, and rather than deflecting or saying, You know what? You should really get to, get to the tabernacle. They'll, they'll t- or get, get, get to the temple or your, your closest synagogue. You'll find out some good things there. He speaks truth in the moment. He seizes the opportunity. And he preaches, and the Bible says that on that day, 3,000 people came to salvation and were baptized and added to their number. 3,000 people. And it wasn't because of Peter's brilliance. It wasn't because he was like some sort of fantastic orator. It wasn't his brilliance. It was his obedience. And we're called to obey. And here is the point in the story that's the crux, that's the, the real thing. Because I think sometimes we settle on this moment of Pentecost and Peter preaching to the crowd, and that's the moment. But there's something that happens after it that I think is profound, that, that mirrors back to what we read quite a, quite a while ago at the beginning of my message. There's no service after this, so I can preach as long as I want. So, bring a sack lunch. All right, so, so Peter has this incredible time, but instead of saying, wow, we've got a church of 3,000 people, let's get a building, we'll get some projectors, we'll have a potluck, we'll, we'll just keep going as we are, they continue to grow the church, they continue to go out and preach the good news, right? I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things, but having the eye to the harvest. And so they continue preaching, they continue sharing, and one day Peter and John are on the way to the temple, and outside the temple is a crippled man, and he's asking for money. And they said, "They said we don't have silver or gold, but I'll tell you what we do have. And he grabs him by the hand, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks, and not only does he walk, he starts running and jumping, which is not allowed on that particular day of the week they were there. By religious law, that's not allowed, and it made a lot of people upset. So, naturally, Peter and John are arrested for doing a good thing. And they're thrown in jail. And this is where our story picks up in chapter 4. So if you would, with me, Move to chapter 4. Peter and John are arrested. And it says this, While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it, So their number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Did you catch that? 2,000 more people came to salvation in their arrest. So 3,000 at Pentecost, another 2,000, just not not counting women and children, 2,000 more added to their number. But here, catch this, verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law. It says, Council. Do you remember we talked about that word council, right? Let me tell you, this is not a unique council from the council that happened 50 days or so prior when Jesus was arrested. This is the same council, because keep reading with me here. It says, Annas the high priest was there along with who? Caiaphas. Caiaphas. The very same Caiaphas that pushed and had successfully leveraged his influence to have Jesus crucified. So Peter is standing now, not just as someone on the outside in the courtyard hanging out with the servants, but now he is the one that is clapped in iron, standing before this very same council and this very same Caiaphas. Fifty days ago, he didn't know who Jesus was. At this moment, he stands before this council. And it says they brought the two disciples together. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? This is a moment, a watershed moment for Peter. He could be like, you know what? I was just trying to do a good thing. My bad, guys. Couldn't tell you whose name. Just just going to be on our way. Peter's at a, at a critical moment in his life. He's standing, I would imagine, I imagine he's standing on the same stones that he was standing on. When Jesus was denied by him three times. But here's what it says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, everybody say, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? I like that he asked that. I, I imagine he's going, Do you really want to know how he was healed? Are you sure you want to ask that question? He says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. It's important that he says the Nazarene because back then there were other people named Jesus. It wasn't an uncommon name. He wanted to make sure that this isn't Jesus or Jesus or anybody else that might be around the neighborhood. This is Jesus from this particular town, from Nazareth, the one that you killed. I am talking about Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, he says. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Men who had been with Jesus. Wow. So here... Peter's story comes full circle. I mean, this is, this is the spot where fear had shut him down. Where fear had, had, had shut him down to the point that he wouldn't even ex- admit that he knew who Jesus was. But let me tell you, God doesn't define us by our failures. Thank you, Lord. We are not defined by our failures. We are not disqualified because of our pasts. Peter had a lot of bumps in the road. He had a lot of mistakes. He had a lot of failures. A lot of things that that you would say, this disqualifies me. But Jesus does not uh, disqualify us because of our past. But he reinstated Peter. And Peter had a moment where he was able to stand in boldness. Where he had failed before. And Peter used what he had. He, he, He stood on the experiences of what he had seen and experienced. See, that's what a testimony is. When we give our testimony in a court of law, when you testify... You speak to what you've seen or experienced, right? You you share what you actually saw or, or experienced. So when we give our testimony, it's not about necessarily giving a perfect theological oration, but telling of the experiences we've had with Jesus. What He's done in our own life. And Peter shares the experiences he's had with Jesus he tells the truth and he he doesn't overwhelm them with extravagant theology as a matter of fact it says the council was well aware they noticed that these guys had no special training I can imagine they were fumbling around through their torahs or like as it says uh, you know they they, 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 they were not special theologians but they recognized when they saw them that they were people that had been with jesus the same guy we try to get rid of he's all over them i could just sense it jesus's presence is all around him how didn't we get rid of this guy but yet they could see that these men had been with jesus and they recognized this council recognized we don't have anything to hold these guys on there's nothing we can do. The people are celebrating, they're praising God, so they release them, they're freed. And Peter and John uh, go back to the other believers, and they tell them what happened, what happened with the, 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 with Caiaphas. So, like, remember Caiaphas, the guy that executed Jesus? We were there, and they tell the story. And they tell the believers the story, and the believers begin to pray. But they don't pray for what you would normally think you'd pray for. They pray for boldness. They start to pray, and here's what the believers pray in verse 29. They say, And now, O Lord, hear their threats. They're talking about the threats of this religious council. They said, And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with what? The Holy Spirit. With what? The Holy Spirit. And they preach the word of God with boldness. Ah, oh, boldness. Courage is, is infectious. It's, it, it, it just, if, you're, if you have courage, it, it just picks up on other people. And, and the believers hear what happened and they start to respond and they pray for this boldness. They don't pray for relief. Did you notice that? They didn't say, God, if you could just take some of the heat off for a few minutes, imagine what could happen. They didn't pray for favor in the culture. God, if if this society would just be more welcoming to our new religious movement, that would be really helpful. It could be recognized. They didn't pray that there would be a lifting of government restrictions. They prayed for boldness, they sought boldness. No matter what the circumstance, whether we be locked in jail, whether we be fed to lions, whether we be set alight to to, to light up the, the Caesar's parties, whatever the case may be, God, that we would have the boldness to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that you have come to sanctify hearts, that you've come to bring us back to you. And this courage started to build within the church. And though they were scattered, there was a courage that just filled that place. And the gospel, the good news went on and the church grew. And let me tell you, Your courage to step out and to testify may be just what someone else needs. Someone you didn't even know was struggling, maybe, with fear, with doubt, with with going, I don't know if I can share my faith. They see your actions, your stepping out, your story. Maybe they don't even see it, but they hear your report. And they hear it, and it builds you up. it builds them up and encourages them i i know there are people in this congregation and they'll come and they'll tell me about how they shared the gospel with someone just on the street corner and i'm like i want to do that now i want to go out and just start up a conversation and share tell your story be faithful to what you've been given after this happens peter writes a letter after this story happens, I imagine it's while the book of Acts is occurring, he writes some letters to the believers. And in the book of First Peter, he writes this. And I, I believe, this isn't, I can't prove it, but I believe that this event that we just read about, where he stood before this council, I believe this was in his mind when he wrote this. He writes this to the believers. He says, Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. We hold an extraordinary, jesus in your heart you have a hope that is extraordinary extraordinary and we should if anyone is a follower of jesus if anyone has set him apart as lord of your life we should have a reason then if someone were to ask us be ready immediately to share why he is who he is be ready with that answer prepared with that answer not caught off guard but be ready to give the answer for the hope that's within that's within us that's exactly what peter says in verse 15 and all we have to do is use what we've been given. Be faithful with it. I'm reminded of the parable of the talents. Maybe you might say, you know what? I don't have a huge base of knowledge in this way or that way, but be faithful in what you've been entrusted. Be faithful with your story that you have. Some of you have testimonies of what God has done in your life, and it's a beautiful story of Redemption. god has drawn you out where god has restored you where maybe you were without hope be faithful with your story be obedient in the small things you might say sharing my faith one-on-one terrifies me we're giving you opportunities to share the good news of jesus in an even more comfortable situation like wonder camp this is a situation in which you'll be surrounded by other people who love Jesus or following Jesus, and we're bringing the context of the gospel in such an accessible way to children and families. Sign up for this to start inundating yourself and getting used to what it means to share the good news of Jesus regularly in our world outside these walls. Begin to be faithful in these small things. Invite someone to church. I joked, you know, earlier about you know Peter at Pentecost just saying, "Well, you should go to church." There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with inviting someone to church. There's a great way to do it, and it's not by saying, you really need to go to church. But by saying, hey, on Sunday at 11 o'clock, I'm going to church, you want to come with me? I don't know, this is a statistic I've read, it may vary from place to place, but it said 86% of people that go to a church go there because they were invited by someone. 2% go because of the church's great advertising. Because they're invited by someone. And lastly, not lastly, next, consistently pray for that individual. We need to have a specific person in mind. Sometimes we think of like this just like ambiguous group of the lost. This big cloud of people out there that need Jesus. But we each, every one of us, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor and you're in a church most of the hours of the week, I have neighbors that don't know Jesus. We all have contact points where there are people in our life, family members, people that don't know Jesus. Write that name down, if they're a candidate to hear the good news of Jesus, and start to pray for them. Every day, pray for them. Pray that God would reveal himself to them. Pray that God would would intervene in their life, and then pray that God would use you in a way to reach them. That God would open up divine opportunities and, and just natural conversation points that would bring up the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. And finally, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, none of this would be possible. The Great Commission would be this impossibility that Jesus just put upon the disciples if Acts 1-8 didn't happen, where the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with power. And we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit on us in order to pull off this incredible calling that we are called to to go into all the world and reach it for the hope of Jesus. So right now, church, let's stand together. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to move in our church, in our body, in, our, in, this, in, this, in this collection of believers, that God would begin to develop something within us, that we as individuals would be evangelists, that yes, we'd be an evangelistic church, but that we as individuals would take that calling upon ourselves. So right now, Holy Spirit, we need you. We wait on you for fire, oh God because we can't conjure it up on our own. Just personal revelation isn't enough. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit we need you to pour down on us in a mighty and a profound way, oh God. In a way that we have never seen before, oh God, that is we are the last day's church, that you are coming one day soon, that we would prepare ourselves and we would go into our world and bring the hope of Jesus, that we wouldn't let it passively pass us by, that we wouldn't just watch the world go by out our windows, but we would go out and we would reach the world with the hope of Jesus, that we wouldn't contain it to ourselves, but we would share the good news, that it would compel us, that it would draw us out and it can only be done by the mighty powerful Holy Spirit that fills us and Lord we would wait on you each and every day for fire Lord that we would not just make it a Sunday morning moment where we hope to have a warm fuzzy during worship but that we would wait on you for fire each and every day and you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit Lord Jesus that the, the move of your spirit the charismatic power of your Holy Spirit would begin to flow God, our church would be a beacon of hope in our world. This would be a hope city here where people flood in to hear the good news of Jesus and what he can do in a life. Give us the courage, O Lord, to share our stories. Give us courage, O God, to share our stories. We pray, as the first century church did, that you would fill us with boldness, O God. O Father, that we would be a bold people that we would not pray that the opposition would go away, but that in the opposition we would be courageous. And God, we would see a mighty, mighty outpouring of your presence in our world, Lord, as we engage in this endeavor that you have called us to. And we thank you, Jesus, in your mighty and powerful and holy name. Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning.
1: as Pastor Brent shared uh, about your Connect cards. You can go to Connect to fill out those Connect cards. And can I just tell you, um, it's important. I know it seems like something rudimentary that we go through, but it's a way for us to pray for you, to celebrate with you, to give information for you, and also for us to be encouraged. We love to know what God is doing. And I know I share this all the time, but the scriptures say we battle the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and what? The word of our testimony. So let's steward those testimonies well. Let's steward them all. Let's share them. Let's get... Let's get them around. Hey, I have some few uh, a few exciting announcements this morning. The first one is this. How many of you guys have been looking forward to life groups? Our life groups are back starting September 5th. So, I'm just going to go around and name a few of the ones that we have and I'll point out some leaders for you to contact. Uh, We have a discipleship small group where we learn how to be intentional friends, following up with Pastor Brent said, how to learn how to be intentional friends so that we can share the gospel with people. That's by our own Tony over here. Tony, raise your hand. Um, We have a men's activity group. I think we're throwing axes for one of them. We're doing all kinds of things. Our man, Kid, over here. We got David. We got Tony. We got Nick. They're all leading that up, so make sure to contact them. We have our women's activity group where they're going on walks and eating some food. It sounds awesome. Hosanna is going to do it. It's going to be great. Um, We have our planted membership class. So if you are not a member and you've been uh, coming, it's time to make that commitment. Let's have the DTR talk. Let's slap a ring on it. Become a member. It's going to be awesome. We have our Gospel of John class by Sandy. She's going to teach us through the Gospel of John and show how the Gospel of John is seen through the entire Bible, the scope and sequence of it. It's going to be awesome. We have our middle school class. Firestarters group. So even if you're a little bit younger, we have something for you to walk through the Bible. We have our adults Bible class from Pastor Bruce that just goes through. I think we're talking about the Holy Land. It's going to be really, really cool. And we also have our Monday Bible study for the ladies. It's on Monday morning, and they just go through different uh, series of the Bible. It's going to be awesome. The book of Acts talks about the church growing, and it says as they grew, they didn't just meet in a large group in the temple, but they met in their homes and broke bread together. Part of us growing bigger means that we also need to grow smaller. How many of you know every single person in this room? None of us, right? But if we don't want somebody to fall through the cracks, we need to all gather together and become smaller so that we don't let a single person miss out. Even just while I was standing up there, I was actually texting because someone just texted me saying, Hey, Pastor Ty, it's so nice to meet you. Can we grab lunch tomorrow? And I was so excited to grab lunch with them tomorrow. But can I tell you, there's probably more people that I didn't get a chance to connect with that maybe one of you did. And so this is our chance to connect together in groups, learn about Jesus, live life together. Secondly, the book of Acts further on talks about the church grew so fast that it got to the point that the disciples couldn't do all the things anymore. They're like, we can't preach the word, pray for people, and make the meals, and serve the orphans, and serve the widows, and do all these things that is important for them to do. And can I tell you in our church, if you're waiting for me and Pastor Donnie and Pastor Brent to do to do it, there's a lot of things that we'd love to do that isn't going to get done. It takes the whole church, the whole body. So this morning, I'd encourage you, we have new serve teams available this morning. If you go to nlcchurchcom slash serve, or it's on the Bible app, or it's on your Connect card, or we have sign-up sheets out there, we have a bunch of... Of new serve teams, I'm going to name a few. Security is going to start. Can I tell you? A couple of weeks ago, we had some incidents that most of you probably never heard of because we had people follow up with it, allowed us to be safe, allowed us to focus in on the Lord because other people were standing in the gap. If that's something you're interested in being a part, my man Nick over there is, and David and um, are over there to to sign up. We also have our media team. It's really nice to be able to sing the words and know the words, right? It requires people to do that. So make sure if you're interested. Literally, all you need to do is know how to do this with your finger. We'll handle the rest. It's going to be good. Um, We have our greeting team. Did you know when people walk through the door for the first time, they decide within the first seven minutes if they're going to come back? You know what's interesting about that? That's before they've heard the band. That's before they've heard the sermon. That's before they've heard anything. The number two things, the two things that they that they measure is number one, how clean is the ladies' bathroom? So we keep it clean. We do that. But secondly, how friendly are the people? It's not about one person saying, hey, but it's about all of us being friendly. So if you have the gift of of hospitality, if you like being friendly, uh, wear a badge as you do it. It's going to be awesome. So we have our greeting team starting. We also have ushers. We have two new ushers today. It's awesome. We have my man Dennis over here who just signed up today. We also have uh, Jonah Day who signed up. A teen saw a need, stepped up, filled in the gap, and said, hey, I, I, I can't do a lot of things, but I can pass around a basket. Be a Jonah. Be a Dennis this morning step up. We also have a prayer team. There are so many people. I remember last time I spoke, there, I had a line of people that wanted to be prayed for, and I was so thankful to pray for each one of them. But there was probably more people that wanted to be prayed for that just didn't have time to stand in the line. As Christians, we're all called to pray for one another. It's not about just a pastor. It's not about just an elder, but it's about all of us standing in the gap and praying for one another. If you have a burden to pray for people, sign up for the prayer team. On that same note, our Wonder Camp is coming up in a few weeks. How many of you guys are excited for that? I'm so excited. As we started the series, Testify, I'm so stoked that even now, we're kind of in the midst of Wonder Camp. We're leading up to us being able to serve our community, to share the gospel with kids and their families. It's going to be awesome. We still have a few opportunities to serve at Wonder Camp. And here's what's awesome. And I, is I fully believe that decades from now, we're going to look back and say, wow, Wonder Camp is such a testimony of what God did through this church. You're going to want to be a part of that. Don't be the person that's like, man, I wish I would have done that. I missed out. We still have opportunities for you to serve. Make sure you sign up and serve. And lastly, Pastor Donnie this Tuesday is doing some water fun sports with the kids. I got it confused with waterboarding the kids, but I guess that's not actually what we're doing. Because I was like, dude, waterboarding kids, sign me up. But he said they're going to have fun. It's going to be safe. So so don't worry about that. That's that's why he's here and I'm not. So it's good. But um, he's going to have some water sports with the kids. It's going to be really, really cool. And he's also feeding them dinner at six. So if you want to try to look young and sneak in and get your meal, it's going to be awesome. But hey, let's go ahead and stand as we receive our tithes and offerings this morning. Um. I just encourage you, something that I heard this week that really, really resonated with me is that what looks like risk to us looks like obedience to God. And so as we're, as we're thinking about filling out these connect cards, as we're thinking about giving from the offering, I know it's not easy, but what looks like risk for us looks like obedience to God. And can I tell you, there's people on the other side of our obedience When we begin to stand up, when we begin to serve, when we begin to give, there are people that are to come to know Jesus because of what we've done here this morning. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and begin to pass out the buckets. I'm going to turn over to Hosanna and the team, and they're going to lead us in some worship.
0: somewhere in our church body. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.